It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. I've heard a lot of talk about models, Neffet models. There's a new model has just been done taking different things into account. But I'd suspect an awful lot of us don't really know what a model is what it should be used for, much less how to read and interpret it. And we'd have no idea how they are made and, moreover, how they change. Professor Torlock Downs is a professor of astrophysics and maths at Dublin City University and mathematical modelling is one of his areas of expertise. Professor Downs, good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks very much for having me on. Good to speak with you, Torlock. The idea of a model telling us what might or might not happen. What is it? How does it work? And how should we read it? So that's a really good question. And, and, and you can kind of go between a very long answer and a very short answer. So I'll try and go for the very short answer. Um, basically, uh, a model just gives us, we, we have an idea of how things work, how something works, like it can be the weather or it can be COVID or it can be the climate or something like that. And we think, yeah, okay, for example, if it's COVID, we know that if somebody walks into a room and they have COVID and nobody else has COVID, then there will be an increase in the number of cases of COVID in that room because that person will infect people. And so, so we have some basic understanding like that. And then we try to say, okay, so if that happens every time somebody walks into a room, then what's the overall effect going to be? And now we've already started building a model because we started out with some basic observation. And uh, from that, we've kind of worked out how the system works overall. And then we try to say, okay, if that understanding is right, then what do we think will happen uh, in the long term or whatever. And I think a great example of this is what we do with weather forecasting, where, you know, back in the 80s, and maybe I'm going back too far for your listeners, I don't know, but back in the 80s, the, the accuracy of our weather forecasting uh, for five days out, say, was about the same as the accuracy uh, of our weather forecasting now for two weeks out. Mm. So what, what, we, what we had back then was we had a certain understanding of how everything worked, and we built a model, and it was kind of right, but not brilliant. Uh, and then gradually it's been refined and refined and refined as we get more observations and we look at, oh, that didn't quite work. It wasn't cloudy on Tuesday. It was actually sunny. So mm. what went wrong there? And we, we keep on honing things. And that's what we're in the process of doing with COVID. So yeah. for weather, we've been trying to figure out weather for decades or centuries. And with COVID, we've had about 18 months to two years at it. Mm. Uh, and so you'd naturally expect that we're maybe not as good uh, yeah. with with COVID as we might be with weather and so on. We, we've come so, become used to also the, the terms optimistic scenario, pessimistic scenario. But what we're looking yes. for is prediction. 
So, so how do we go about finding that? Or can we actually predict accurately? So I think that's, again, that's an excellent question. And, you know, there's a there's another analogy with weather, which I think people will be familiar with as well, which is the kind of climate modeling and the scenarios that we have in climate modeling. You know, we'll get 1.5 degrees if this and 2.4 degrees if 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 we don't do this and so on. And so that's so and they are not predictions. Um, they are saying based on our understanding of how everything works, if uh, things go badly, say, if, uh, for example, the transmissibility of the Delta variant is a little bit more than we think it is uh, or happens in slightly different ways. Maybe it relies on super spreading events a little bit more uh, or less than we think it does. Then, um, you know, well, what we do is we, we put in all these parameters into our model. So all these things that we think, you know, uh, happen and we take the worst case scenario of all those parameters, what we think will make the worst case scenario. And then that is what is published as the worst, the, the, the pessimist, the pessimistic scenario. And then you say, well, what about if it's the other side and, and we take the, all these parameters and you know of how the, the disease spreads and everything and we we say okay let's take the as optimistic as we can for all those parameters what does the model then predict uh, and that's the optimistic scenario but in neither of those cases are we actually trying to predict what would actually happen because it's unlikely that you know there'll be a certain amount of uncertainty in in for example what proportion of cases are going to be hospitalized uh, so the optimistic scenario will always say, well, it'll be on the lower end of what we think. So it mm. might be 10% of, uh, or, or so that was the old days before the, the vaccines, uh, will be hospitalized. Whereas we think it might be up to 20%, but we'll go for 10%. And if you do that with all the parameters, we know that it's not likely that it'll actually be the most optimistic scenario for all of the parameters. And equally, we know it's not likely that it'll be the worst case scenario for all the parameters. So you take the pessimistic and the optimistic and you're saying, there are bounds. That's the worst that'll happen. And this is the best that'll happen. And this is always assuming that our underlying assumptions in the model is, is correct as well. Um, so, for example, in the, the pessimistic scenario that Neffet had in, in September, mm. um, that they still assume they still had had left out of the model this idea of waning immunity. Yes. Uh, and now they've the worked vaccines. that into the new one. So that changes the numbers again. It changes it hugely. Um, and this is, again, one of these problems with something like COVID. It's really sensitive to the changes. Like there are some things that you try to model, like say you're, you're trying to model how an engine responds to the few, the amount of the, the fuel air mix that you give it. You know, you change that a little bit and the engine changes its response a little bit. But with the COVID, you change the input a little bit and the output changes hugely. Uh, so it's really, really sensitive to some of these parameters, which is why some of the models seem kind of ludicrously wrong occasionally. Yeah. Um, so they, That's a they question I wanted to get to with you, Professor, because constantly yeah. you see, oh, they predicted this and should they were all wrong and the numbers were nothing like they predicted and they were all wrong. They're not meant to be spot on. They're not. And one of the really important things that should happen then is when you make, because I mean, you make a prediction, right? And you hope that you, that it somehow reflects reality. So if you do give a, a best and worst case scenario, if, if, if that's not what happens, then, uh, you know, if, if what happens doesn't fall between the best and worst case scenarios, then you need to go back and you need to say, okay, we did something very wrong here because uh, it's not wrong. It's we haven't made a mistake with the input to the model. It's the model itself that's got a problem, uh, and in this case, it was the the lack of inclusion of waning immunity. Um, and then what you do is you you refine the model and you say, okay, right, we need to put that in mm. now. What does the model say? Um, and similarly, when you when we talk about say the the so called natural immunity that you get from being infected. 
Um, you can make all sorts of assumptions about how effective that is. Really, it doesn't look like it's very effective. Uh, and in particular, it can be very patchy. So some mm. people will get good protection and then others just get almost no protection from natural immunity. Mm. Um, so it's not like the vaccines, which are much more effective. Uh, and so when you when you take into account natural immunity, you'll have some assumptions that you make about how that works. And if your models just don't seem to reflect reality, then you're going to have to change those. They you're going to have them. to acknowledge that your assumptions were wrong and you need to change. My old maths lecturer in college, when we did a little bit about modelling, he said, this is done on a computer, but a computer is only as good as the information you put into it, which I think is what you're, you're saying to me there. That's it. It's, it's rubbish in and rubbish out. We don't say rubbish, but it's rubbish yeah. in, rubbish out is, is the thing. Can we, put, we know now the immunologists and, and people in that field are saying to us now that we accept that there is a seasonality to COVID. Can we work that seasonality into a model? So it's it's very interesting, the seasonality idea, because um, from what I can gather from what I've read, the seasonality seems to be primarily in our behavior. So, you know, if the weather is cold, well, we're not going to keep the windows open um, so much because it's, it's too cold. And as a result, the concentration of the virus in the air goes up and so more people get infected. Right. Um, so in some sense, the virus may not be what's being seasonal here. It might be us that's, that, that, that are being seasonal. Um, and yes, this can be worked into models. And there's a, there's a really, really sophisticated model that it's, it's, it's known as the European model, um, where what they actually do is they run full-scale simulations of everybody, basically. And so they do this by using mobile phone tracking data, by using train bookings, plane bookings, ferry bookings, uh, looking at the, the travel data on roads and all this kind of thing, and looking at where people work and where they're at home and all that. And then they actually run a model and they say, okay, well, if these people are, if this number of people are infected and they're, and the distribution around the community is like this, how many are more are going to get infected? And in those kinds of models where you're actually tracking what are effectively individual, now we're not tracking people here. What we're doing is we're running a simulation mm. and in the simulation, we're observing where people go. Uh, so it's not like we're we're actually tracking people's mobile phones. That's not what happens. Um, and then we say, well, if that person were infected, how many more people would they have infected? Now, in those kinds of models, you can include the seasonality very easily because all, what, what you need to say then is that, okay, well, in winter, what do people do? Maybe they don't go out and play football so much. Maybe more what they do is they go to cafes um, and sit inside. And then you can put that very easily into that kind of model. Now, in the kinds of models that Neffet uses and that are used, it, it's very, very computationally intensive to run those very large models. They're not, they're not easy things to run. Um, and so in the kinds of models that are used, say that Neffet would use and other national agencies around, uh, around Europe and the world would use, they're a bit more simplistic than that. And what they basically say is, okay, uh, if 10% of the people are infected, then let's assume that those 10% are evenly mixed throughout the country, right? which we know isn't the case. I mean, it can't be because if I get infected with COVID, I go home to my kids and I give them COVID, mm. then, then you know, clearly that's me and, and the kids in my house. We're not evenly spread around the community. Yeah. So we don't infect in that, in that very uniform way. And so those models are going to miss things like seasonality. The best thing that you can do under those circumstances is just say that the likelihood of a person, the probability of a, of a person infecting another person goes up in winter yeah. and down in summer. Um, even if that's not technically what's happening, that's the kind of way that you can make that model do what you want it to do. But it, it's inevitably, because you're simplifying things so much, it 
it's going it's not going to be a great approximation of what yeah. actually happens but you can work it in a little bit it's just not going to be brilliant yeah another thing for example that has come to our attention in the last while is how difficult at the moment it is to get at a test in cork people waiting 24 48 hours just to get called for a yes. test that's going to throw findings everywhere isn't it that's that's disastrous is the only way to 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 say that um because what you then have is a scenario where there are lots and lots and lots of cases in the community that you don't know about and so that's one of the fundamental inputs into the model um so you're putting in the wrong number of cases into your model and then what's going to happen is your model is going to predict something and probably the model will be wrong because you gave it the wrong information at the start um and furthermore you won't even know to what extent your prediction is wrong because when that when you know if, if we predict now say what's going to happen in three weeks time then in three weeks time people still won't be able to get tests um and so there will still be an unknown number of cases in the, uh, in the community so we won't know whether the model has predicted the right answer the other thing that could happen is we could ramp up the testing availability and then now in three weeks time everybody can get tests and so we know the number in the community, but that would be way higher than our model would predict because we told our model there was only a small number of cases, at the, relatively speaking, and a small number of cases now, when actually there were a large number of cases now. So if we had told the model the correct information, it would have predicted the right answer in three weeks' time, but we didn't tell it the right information. And under those circumstances, we've got a bad prediction, which will lead to bad policy making. And we don't know how to fix, how to correct our model. Lastly, and briefly, Professor Downs, people are listening to what you're saying, and they're, I know the question in their minds, who the hell can we believe now? Well, I think that, so that's a, uh, that's a very understandable question. I mean, the, the, what, what's happening at the moment is, Everybody is doing their best, right? And when I say their best, I mean kind of our best as a, as a society. This is the best that we can do in terms of trying to understand what's, what's going to happen. So we are in a situation of uncertainty. What we can say though is that if you look at the, the growth rates, say in, in hospitalizations and ICUs and that now, if that keeps on going as it is, then by Christmas, we will have the same number of people in ICU as we had last January. Uh, and it's not unreasonable to say that that would keep on going. Uh, there's nothing there's nothing obvious that will stop that from happening unless we bring in mitigations and then you, we can ask what kinds of mitigations are best to bring in and that's very difficult i loved what what we tried to do uh, towards the end of summer 2020 where what we did was i don't know do you remember there were lo- there were kind of local county lockdowns yeah, yeah. um and in each in each case they brought in different mitigations uh, and it looked like we were trying to discover which mitigations work best uh, and which are, you know, really inconvenient, but don't do very much. Like, are there mitigations that are not very inconvenient, but very effective? Um, and unfortunately, we didn't really, really follow that kind of thing through. And so now we're looking at a scenario where we still don't really know what the best mitigate, what the most effective mitigations are. We definitely know that a lockdown works extremely well because we saw that even in the Netherlands um, last June when they decided to open up completely, their cases went mad and then they shut down again and their cases died back down. So we know that lockdowns work extremely well, but lockdowns are very, very like they're, they're, they are all sorts of negative things about lockdowns. So it'd be great if we could try to, now is not the time because the cases are so high and the risks are so high. Um, but but if if we could just keep on trying different sorts of restrictions when we see that cases are rising in certain counties, and then we can say, okay, well, listen, 
stop going to school, for example, um, and then see what that does to cases in, in, under those circumstances or stop people going to work or, uh, you know, th- try different things and learn more about what kind of population level restrictions really work. Otherwise, we're just left with this big sledgehammer approach okay, each right. time. And that's not what we need. No, nobody wants another one. Nobody wants another one. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Professor Torlock Downs, he's Professor of Mathematics and Astrophysics at DCU with specialty in mathematical modelling. It's a hard one to understand, isn't it? But at least we thank you to uh, an expert like Professor Downs for being with us. Quartz 96 FM Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.